Someone asks, tells your children in school, how many of you have either children or grandchildren in school? So this touches many of us. Some of us are old enough to have no more children and grandchildren in school. Right, Dee? <laughs> Gene? No, no, it's a joy. Now we're looking for the third generation, great-grandchildren. And your child comes home one day. And maybe this has happened, but it's more prone to be happening nowadays. And I don't know whether the resurrection was real, Mom. Well, why would you think that, Joseph? Well, Mom, the teacher said she doesn't believe in the resurrection. She believes that they made up the story, that the body was stolen, that, you know, it was hallucinations, or Jesus really didn't die. He kind of came back to, you know, he kind of passed out on the cross and came back. That this is so critical. This is such a monument of significance. Because everything that we believe, everything that God has done, all of about himself, the reality of who he is and his purpose, the reality of Jesus and his mission, everything. May I repeat that word? What did I say? Everything. That all-inclusive word. And when I say everything, Patsy, what do I mean? Everything. All of it depends on one activity as its proof. Al, what is that? The resurrection. Yeah, Al, yeah. The resurrection. The resurrection is the foundational proof upon which Christianity, the Bible, and everything rests as its validation. Do we understand that? Did you understand what I just said? You see, God doesn't need someone to prove that he is. He just is. So you notice I didn't say this proves God. What did I say? It proves that what God has said about himself, who he is, what Jesus has done, it proves it. It's already true. We're just talking about the validation of a truth, correct? We see the difference. So what do you say to your child? There has to be, for us who are believers, and hopefully everyone in here is, for our children, we first must have a personal validation of the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then we must be able to defend that validation, that resurrection, Gordon, to others who believe that the resurrection did not occur for whatever reasons and have arguments against the resurrection. And if our children and grandchildren haven't been 
schooled in this sufficiently. This is going to be a major stumbling block and a beginning of cracking their foundation. Amen? So the, the question obviously is, I am so, so thankful for you parents who bring your, your children in here. So thankful. But I'm also major concerned about the rest of the young people in our church who are not in here because they don't have a Sunday school class of their own. I'm just going to say how it is, right, Chris? So what do you say? The body was stolen. The body was stolen. Now, first of all, how many of us were physically there on the morning of the resurrection? So first of all, there ain't nobody living on this earth today who was there. So all of the evidence is what we call, I don't know whether to call it circumstantial or whatever, but we don't have any actual eyewitnesses here living on the earth today. Pharaoh, you weren't there, were you? I mean, oh, you're an old goat, but, you know, <laughs> you've been around a while, but whew, yeah, there's no one. <laughs> what? What did you just say? Little, don't drag Charles into this. <laughs> Charles is sitting there like this. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh begins to whisper in Charles' ear. And then he wants me to believe Charles is the one who precipitated that. So, what do you say? What do you say? Well, let's look at some of this. Did the disciples fabricate the resurrection. Do you know what I mean by that? Is this a made-up story? Okay, first. If they did, if someone says to me, to you, we believe they made it up, we have to be ready to answer with normal logic and understanding these objections. Here's what you cannot say. Well, you can say it, but here's what you should not say. I believe in the resurrection. Why? Because the Bible has it. The Bible says so. <laughs> well, I agree with you. We believe why? Because the word of God says so. But then that takes me to the next question. What? I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, what do you say to someone? Well, I mean, you know, whatever. So what do you do? Was the resurrection a fabricated story? Did the disciples steal the body? What are you going to say to people? Well, we first want to begin, rather than making statements to defend the resurrection, don't start with defense. Don't do that. Begin with questions. Questions. So what would we say? Well, first, well, whether it's first or second, whatever. Let's look at the disciples. Let's look at this group of fearless men. These fishermen. These rugged men. When Jesus was arrested, what happened? All except two. What? Ran away. 
Steve, remember that? They all got out of there. Now, many of us would say, I wouldn't run. Well, I don't know about that. Most of us in this room would have been first ones out of the door, out of the room, you know. What happened to these men who were cowering in the corner to make them all of a sudden decide? Remember, they're shivering because of the, the, the Jews and the Romans. They're afraid. They're scared to death. And they have right to be afraid. They have just seen their master taken away. Unjustly tried, beaten, and crucified. Now, if they did that to our leader, what would they do to Should they have been afraid? Yes. So what, what happened? Did they conspire? Just normal thinking, what would you say? The probability is what? They didn't do this. But let's say they did. Okay, so here's what they said. Look, we're going to conspire and say Jesus' body was stolen. Now, I just came to my mind another thought, but just ask yourself this. If they're going to do this, they're taking a huge chance, right? If they stole the body, they're taking a monumental chance that they're going to be found out. What was their earthly gain in stealing the body? You see, you may say, Eddie, well, if by stealing the body they could have become fabulously rich. Okay, people would take a chance for that, right? But did they become rich? Or did they become the objects of attack? What was their motive? So in order to steal the body, we have to have somebody go to the grave. So what do they do? Are these men going to the grave? Patrick, are these men going to be the ones who go to the grave first? No, what? A bunch of women. Come on, come on. A bunch of women. Now, now get into the mentality of those days. Women. If you're going to create a conspiracy... That begins to rely upon eyewitnesses. And you are a Jew of the first century. Or a Roman. Or any man in that culture. You simply would never get a bunch of women as your witnesses. Now look, this isn't today. This is then. Because the women's testimony was not even accepted as valid in any court in those days. So, Shane, you don't get a woman to be your one. You get one of the guys. So why did they choose the women? Now, let's say it is the women. So they're going on to the uh, gravesite. And I think some of this is in your notes. So. About five or six of you are so together, somewhere around five, six, or seven. It could be more because Luke says the other women. Okay, it could have been five, seven, eight, ten, whatever it is. A troop of women go to the gravesite. Now, on their way, 
You're one of the women who are going to the gravesite. What are you going to be thinking? Uh, well, you're going to the gravesite, remember, to anoint the body, supposedly. That's going to be the story. We're going to anoint the body and whatever. And they, so what are you thinking on the way? Think. What would you be thinking? Do you remember that there was a Roman guard posted at the gravesite? Do you know who Roman soldiers were? These were battle-tried men. They were the Marines of the day. They were under orders by Pilate. For the, at the risk of their own lives to obey. What's the other major obstacle in the way? You have this stone, which I don't know how much it weighs, minimum hundreds of pounds, that has been rolled in front of the cave, the tomb. It was located originally up a little incline, secured there, until... Joseph of Arimathea, remember, he would be buried there. And then what would they do? They would release it, however, and it would roll down this little incline and boom, into a kind of a carved-out area, and boom, there it would sit. Now, I know there's some healthy women in this world, and they may even be Marines. But I doubt whether a bunch of four or five women are going to be able to get that thing out of that depression and roll it up the hill so how do they do this see you have to think of all these things you ask the person well how was that done well i don't know but i know it was done and how are they going to overcome this troop of soldiers and then when they get in to the tomb how are they going to get jesus out Okay, they're going to have to carry him out or do something. Remember, how was Jesus wrapped? Did you see the movie or something? This isn't the Shroud of Turin. This isn't the Shroud of Turin. This is not how they did it. What did they do in those days? They took a body and they wrapped them with cloths, right? Wrapped around the body, and as they did, into the folds of this cloth, you know, one layer upon another, they would put what? Spices. Spices. And it says, and I don't remember which one of the gospel account, it's about 100 pounds of spices. And so they enwrapped the body up to the neck. And then on, then on the face, they put a cloth they didn't wrap the face up. And there's your body. So you've created a theory. So what would the theory say? They came and took the body, right? Okay. So they have a choice to either carry Jesus who is wrapped up in this. And Jesus probably weighs, what do you think? 150, 60 pound man? 100 pounds of Spices, we're talking about 250 pounds. That takes a lot of ability to carry a dead person 
250 pounds of weight. So the probability is that what they're going to do, they're going to go ahead and cut the you know, wrappings out and, and take the body out, correct? Right? Remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and what did Jesus say once he came out? Remember, he came out, boom, he came out hopping. I can't hop because of the brace on my foot. I'd hop once, and I'd be on the ground. But he came out hopping. What did Jesus say to the crowd? What? Unwrapping. So Lazarus can't get out on his own. Unwrap me now. You know, open the door. He can't do that. So they would have had to unwrap Jesus. The probability they wouldn't have done that because you have to lift. So they cut the thing, you know, the shroud open. I mean, uh, the, um, um, the, the cloths open. But what did John and Peter find when they ran to the tomb? Remember in John chapter 20, these two guys went ahead. They were told by Mary Magdalene, hey, look, Jesus, the body's gone. We don't, I mean, the, 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 sorry, the, the rock is rolled away. We don't know what's going on. So, man, these two guys are going to go on down there. What has happened? So they go down there, and John comes bursting in for the first. He's younger than Peter is. And he looks in there, and he sees the grave clothes. <gasps> He's risen. Then Peter comes dashing in. <laughs> and he believed. Well, was there a sign there that he's not there anymore? These two men did not hear or see the angels. They didn't see or hear. What made them, Janet, believe? Something they saw in there caused them to realize he's, he's risen. He's, he's not, the body is not here anymore. What What happened? It says that John found the, what? The linen or whatever the cloths were lying, what? Lying there. Now think about it. One of the other stories is, theories is, Jesus swooned at the cross. <sighs> okay. Now the Roman centurion, these are experts. <clears throat> Put the spear in his side, blood and water. But nah, you know, that wasn't, you know, that was, okay. So they took him down. They wrapped him in this mummification, and they put him in the tomb and put a cloth, burial cloth over his face. But now being in the cool of the tomb, he revives. This is one of the theories that people believe. And so, okay, he revives. Let's give them that. How does he get himself out of this, this wrapping? How does he do it? We know Lazarus is alive and he can't do it, so how does Jesus do it? He's been half beaten to death, remember, with the scourging, 39 lashes. That would kill people. Then he's on the cross for six hours. Do we believe that this man has any physical ability to do that? No. Then if he does do it in some miraculous way, then he's inside this very dark tomb. There's no nightlight in here. You know what that is, that little light that's on in some rooms that keep you from being afraid of the dark. So how does he get out of the tomb? Have you thought of this? How does he get out, Rosa? 
he's not out. He's inside the, the rock, the, the boat or whatever is on the outside of the tomb. There are no handles on it. So how does he get out of the tomb? It, it doesn't hold any water. These are strong circumstantial evidences that disprove these theories. But if Jesus did come out of the wrappings, what would you expect to find when you went into the tomb? How many of you have ever gotten out of bed in the morning and the bed sheets absolutely stayed in the same position that they were in when you were sleeping? Come on. How many of you were so good that you can actually get out, and if there was an indentation here, you know, where you feel it, and then you moved in such a way that the, the sheets or the blanket were not disturbed at all. How many of you have ever experienced that? And you're doing this carefully as you can because you want to fool your mom and them. Do you think it's plausible? Well, Donnie, when Jesus comes out of the wrappings, how does he get out of the wrappings? And secondly, how does he get out of them with them just lying there as they had been when they put him in the tomb? The wrappings just kind of collapsed on themselves. They weren't disturbed. I mean, if a man is wrapped up and he's awakened there and all of a sudden realizes, well, look, I'm, what are you going to start doing? You're coming out if best you can, and you're going to start. And by the time you finish, your wrappings are all over the place. Does this make sense? So did he swoon? Mm. Was a body really stolen? If there is a conspiracy and they take the body, Jesus is dead, remember, dead. And they bury the body somewhere else. What have they gained except now we can make a story and and. And Steve, I'm going to become an apostle. You become an apostle. And we're going to start going out and creating a ministry for ourselves. Really, do you think? And so they all know how many conspirators now must you have. You have the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is gone. You have a bunch of women, five or six, seven. I'm saying a bunch of women, not to deprecate women, but to understand how it would have been in those days. You do hear that, don't you? A bunch of women. And all of y'all get together in an upper room somewhere, and you begin to conspire, put the stories together. And remember, here's the details, and here's all what we agree to. So is it plausible that that many people would keep the story the same way? Have you ever heard people give evidence of a car wreck? Five people stand there, bam! How many, how many uh, accounts do you have when five people are standing there watching it? About eight. <laughs> really? Isn't this right? It was, it was a dark blue car, and I saw a dark green car. Well, you know, was it blue or green? Well, it could have, we don't know. The light, you know, caught, well, the car swerved to the, the curve, the, the, the car kind of went to the right. At, you just put the best pieces together that make sense and put it together in a way that you can have a plausible what do you call reenactment of the of the uh, accident? Isn't that what they do? Okay, now, so you have all these people, 
Then the Jews, the Jewish officials, begin to look for you. And persecution begins to build. And so here you are one of the main conspirators. And your children are captured by the officials. Or your wife is captured or your husband. You know you stole the body. And you know where you bury the body. And they have your loved one tied to a post. And the soldier goes up to that loved one with a very sharp sword. And begins to put the sword against the bare chest of your loved one. And you know what's going to happen. The soldier is going to cut your loved one in half. Right? You get it? Or they're going to put his eyes out. Or begin to cut off his fingers and toes. You know it's a fake. But we, we're keeping it a secret. Mary, do you think you would keep it a secret? Or would you say, I confess I know where they bury the body. <laughs> right? Would you do that or would you keep the secret? You wouldn't, you don't know, you had to say something. Would you confess? You would let him kill Harold. <laughs> I asked the wrong wife, didn't I? <laughs> there it is, Harold. We kept, you know, there it is. Let me ask you, Harold, if your wife being, I shouldn't take that chance. <laughs> we would confess. The moment someone puts a dagger to our throat and begins to cut, <gasps> what? The body's over there, the third rock on the side. You see, it doesn't hold up. What about hallucination? That's a theory. But what happened was all of them had a vision and hallucinated. There's no such thing as group hallucinations. One person can hallucinate. But all of these people had the same hallucination and came up with the verse. No. What about the 500 or more people, Paul talks about this, remember in 1 Corinthians 15, who were witnesses to the resurrection. And when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, it's about the year 55 or 6 A.D., most of these people are still living. And when they read this, and you read it, and you say, well, wait, that's not true. Why isn't there any information out of the same period of time? We'll call it a primary source of history, primary, secondary, primary, from that very t same period, secondary from the p next period. You know, where those people are dead, no more eyewitnesses, but now we're witnessing about their witnessing. Correct? You got it, secondary. Is there any bit of primary evidence that refutes the resurrection? Why? Why didn't someone refute it? Somebody give me an answer to that. They couldn't. Why not, Shane? He was resurrected. Why couldn't they produce the body? There was no body to reproduce. Uh, produce. 
There's nothing in the primary source of information that in any way says this didn't happen. And then, of course, you have the strong evidence of the Jewish leaders themselves. These are the ones who crucified Jesus. You were there when he died, were there when they took him away. I'm sure when they, they were there when they buried him. And they said, you know, the troop of souls want to make sure this man stays dead. So the soldiers come running to him that morning, remember? They'd been overcome with fear. They didn't know what was happening. They came out of something like, we don't know what was happening. Couldn't know what, what was going on. Well, all we know is the tomb is open, the body's gone. And I can, they come to the uh, leadership. How many, how many, how many, how many? We've been running on orders. So what does the Jewish leadership say? Don't worry about it. We know where the body is. The body wasn't stolen. The fact that they were willing to pay for a story indicates that they themselves also believe there was no body. So how does a rock like that get removed? How do Roman soldiers become over, uh, uh, overcome? Why do you use bad witnesses? Because women were not able to witness. Why all of these things? Because all of this, you see, is evidence that what happened on that morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, the sun had not risen yet. It was beginning to rise. And they came to the tomb. It was dark. And as the women are coming to the tomb, they're wondering, who is going to roll this stone away for us? They didn't even think about the soldiers. And as they get there, they can see in the darkness, oh, the stone is not there. Mary Magdalene, you, you go back and tell Peter and John. This is bits and pieces in the accounts, different accounts, emphasizing different aspects. So as Mary Magdalene hauls back down to Peter and James, I'm sorry, John, it gets a little brighter. The sun is rising. So now the sun is rising, and they don't see the guards. They don't see the guards. So what are you going to do? The sun's now rising. There are no guards. Jody, what are you going to do? What? You're going to go in and take a what? A peek. They're going to go peek. We're going to peek in. And when they peek in, they see a couple of young guys sitting in there. And these two young guys say, hey, Jesus is risen. Don't you remember what he said? Go back to Galilee and tell his disciples. Uh, sorry, he, he said he'll be, meet you in Galilee. Remember that? So they start going home. And then by that time, Peter and John are rushing in. And John bursts in what? Ah! Oh! And he sees the grave clothes there. Not all messed up, but collapsed. And the napkin apart from the rest. Why? Because it wasn't connected to the others. It was lying there at a you know, location that wasn't connected with the grave clothes. It had been folded up. And then Peter comes in, and they believe. So Peter and John, they don't understand everything, but they know Jesus is, Jesus is no longer dead. They go back. And by the time they go back, 
Back comes Mary Magdalene. Remember, she had gone off to see Peter. She comes back. And when she comes in there, where is everybody? She doesn't know any of these details. So what does she do? In her franticness, she believes what? They've stolen the body, correct? So she sees some man walking around, the gardener. I'll ask him. If anybody knows where the body is, what? The gardener is going to know, correct? I mean, this is his garden. This is his responsibility to take care of the place. Sir, do you know where they've laid, where they've taken him? Tell me where he is so I can go get him. Remember in John chapter 20, you see those verses? She's looking at this risen man and doesn't recognize him. Why? Not because he looks different, but because, you see, now the revelation of his resurrection can only be internally discerned as reality and truth by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that, what I just said? The world could look at him and say, eh, I don't see anything. But those whom God has touched with revelatory truth see him and, and he says, Mary. And when he says, Mary, she says, Rabboni, teacher. And then she falls at his feet and begins to hold on to his feet. He said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Why? I have not yet ascended. Look, listen to the verbs. For I ascend. Now, that's a present tense. That's not saying I will ascend. That's the present tense. I ascend to my father and your father. But go tell my disciples. And so she's dashing off. And some kind of way, the other women now see Jesus. He's, I don't know all the particular details. And they see him, and they recognize him by the Spirit, and they come hanging all over him. Well, why doesn't he tell them, don't touch me? I believe something happened between when Mary began. See, a lot of interpreters say she was holding on and holding on and holding on. That, that, that word doesn't mean that unless it. The context warrants it. Sure, she's grabbing his feet. But is this a wrestling match? No. No. What happened between seeing Mary and seeing the other women? Well, I'll share with you my uh, thought, although you won't find it in most commentaries. Although there are, I found a couple who actually say this. That's, I believe, when he ascended to the Father as a man as the high priest as a man he had to sacrifice himself and then as a man he has to present the blood before the altar the uh, the throne as a man i believe that's when he rose i'm sorry that's when he ascended in heaven did the blood god accepted it and gave him all authority in heaven and earth and then he returns well that took too long you don't know how long we're talking about. It could be in natural a split second. But that's just my opinion there. And then for the next 40 days, 
He appears and he appears. He eats with them, so he's not a phantom. He talks to them. They see him. After 40 days, what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the world and do what? Make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have, what? Told you, instructed you. Behold, I am with you always. And he is taken up into heaven. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the day of the gathering of all the harvest, the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus because he said, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. And the Holy Spirit comes upon those people and they proclaim the gospel. And as the words of the gospel begun to be spoken by this man, Peter, this fisherman, the Holy Spirit pricks the hearts of those who are listening. And they said, what must we do? They knew this. This is what they knew. He's alive. He's alive. And I have in me a overwhelming desire to know him, to be with him, to worship him. You see, that's what's going on. That's called being born again. And Peter tells him, repent and believe. With the heart, remember, one believes. Remember Romans 10.9. What kind of a heart? A heart that is given to them as a new heart, having taken out the stony heart. And with that new heart is the gift of faith, which allows them and moves them to say yes to Jesus, right? Hallucination, make-believe, do you really think so? I'm not quite sure what we'll be doing next week. I think I know where we're going, but we'll just have to see what the Holy Spirit says. Thank you.